Hey guys, we're back with another episode of Panther Airsoft Folding Table Talk here. Uh, this is episode 91. Um, we are going to be talking about Omega Opsis uh, Crossfire 2. And this is going to be the after action report. We had the overview um, just about a month ago, I believe, the last time we talked. And uh, you guys had uh, a lot of things going on back then um because i think it was just like two weeks before the event started so you guys you guys are literally running around getting everything ready and then uh you know i thank you again for sitting down with us at that time even though it was pretty busy and uh you know um we went over the rules things that people needed to know and what they needed to do before they started and as well as as they got there uh, as well as timelines but now now that the event has happened and everything's done. Everything's packed up. Hopefully, everything's packed up. Um, you guys didn't leave anything, did there? <laughs> I hope uh, we almost did. Almost, okay. almost, almost. Yeah. I, I heard Rainbow almost lost his sword, but thankfully, uh, Justin, you found it. That has been found, and yeah. will be returned to him this weekend. I've been ah. holding it ransom for the last few weeks. <laughs> that is that is his uh, ultimate power right there. So if you wield it, you have the power. <laughs> so Sneak you guys up on anyone. <laughs> so you guys did an awesome job. Um, we've heard many many. Um, or positive responses from this from our community um now we're going to be talking about it um from your guys's perspective and as well as uh you know what has happened over over that uh, how many hours was that event about three days right it was three days i think total play time ended up coming out to something like 25 hours or something like that roughly speaking but it was you know three days worth yeah. of event time again it is a tier two event so you're catering Correct, to yeah. just people that are just not used to um on a stop yeah not yeah. like a mill yeah yeah yeah, yeah. So it's a little less gear intensive that way for for people who are just sort of like getting into long form play or guys who aren't quite at the at the gear level to to attempt a milson yeah so it it was uh it was a good choice because it was after a pandemic and everyone's kind of rusty. And I I know there's there's a few MSW players that did attend the event, but you know compared to that, compared to the other players that haven't done any events, this is probably a good sort of an icebreaker for them. Would you mm -hmm. agree with that? Yeah, actually. Um, so Knights of Endor was on uh, Red Team, and they brought their sister team, Ghost of Alderaan. And it was their first kind of long form, quote unquote, Milsim. And uh, they loved it. And so, as you know, KOE has a lot of experience at MSW. So I wanted to give them a nice little introduction. And they walked away loving it and just wanting more. I, I didn't even know that they made a subgroup of a subgroup. After that. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of interesting how they've... Uh... They, they keep going and they keep, they keep reproducing. They they keep picking Star Wars references, which I like too, by the way. Well, yeah, they're, they're kind of like tribbles from Star Trek. So yeah, yeah. I mean, they like, just keep multiplying. What, stick to your fandom, guys. Which one are you? <laughs> All right. So um, the purpose of this uh, After Action Report is to just figure out if there's, uh, you know, we're, we're going to go through the highlights of the event. We're going to go through, you know, the, the pitfalls, downfalls, um, things that can be improved. Um Stuff that happened. I want to hear stories. So we'll get started with that. Before we get started with that, I do have a clip that I want to play for the audience here. And that is uh, you guys uh, doing... Uh, let's see here. Grab the video here. Uh, I believe this is from Mike Erickson. 
And he did a, a cool little uh, video piece for you guys. I'm just looking for the looking for the part that's awesome. Um, the action action montage. If yeah, you know. yeah. I, I don't remember where it was. Dang it. Okay, come on, come on, come on. Where is it? I mean, I could just play the the first part of it here. Um, all right, let me just play it. Play a thirty second clip of it. Just give me a moment. You guys won't hear anything, but the audience will. Focus with Panasonic, never a good idea. We are here shooting an airsoft tournament, which is just spectacular. What a fun thing to come in and do. Hey, can you come and shoot us uh, in this fake war scenario? Yes, please. All right, so played a little bit of clip there. I'll have it in the description below, guys. But um, yeah, um, how did you guys uh, end up... Uh, Getting in touch with uh, Mike here. Um, I looked at his uh, YouTube channel, and uh, yeah, he deserves more views with that type of uh, videography that he has. Um, uh, can you explain a little bit of how you guys met him, or was he just like someone passing by, or? Isn't that the um, helicopter, guys? Not sort of. So what it is is um, Sarver, uh, the owner whose name is Clint. Um, is the helicopter company that we contracted to to fly players in? Oh, okay. And when speaking to him, he mentioned that his son was a, a videographer who had actually done some work with like National Geographic in the past, and had said to us, "Well, you know, my son does filming and things like that. Would you guys be interested?" So he's, you know, pass his name along, et cetera, et cetera. We worked out a deal with him, and Mike is his um, buddy and was like helping him to do a lot of the film and pictures and things like that because it's too much for for one guy to to do and so clint's son was manning the drone most of the time and mike was okay. on more like the handheld equipment um and then he produced that video of his own uh footage and things like that yeah i can tell a team has made it so it's pretty awesome that uh you guys were able to get a videographer there and as well as uh an editor and as well as a narrator for for the event that's pretty awesome yeah. um okay so that shows a little bit of the event there um we've seen tons of videos out there with the explosion part we'll talk about that a little bit later i know you guys love pyrotechnics but um <laughs> so let's just start off with the summary of what happened so may 20th uh at 7 p.m people best car uh which was basically blue team i believe that is uh craig's team yes yeah. um so you guys started off at the south of the dmz north uh, north did I get that wrong? Yep. The map sometimes can throw people off and get a little confusing. Okay, but yeah. It so, is the north end, yeah. Yeah, so north. And then, uh, so tell us uh, a little bit of how you started the day, that, that first day. Uh, were you in a big, like, briefing with your squad? Or um, were you organizing your FOB? Or were you moving things around? Or, you know, let's let's hear it from, from day one. What what did you do with, with that? Yeah, so team? for... I guess um, I'll start first, I guess. Um, yeah, we had a sort of rallying point at one of the uh, gates down by the, I'm actually looking at the map right now. Uh, <laughs> the uh, One of the gates where we rallied up everybody, got everybody sort of sorted out, picked up the few extras that were kind of wandering around or hadn't been assigned. And 
basically got everyone to be three squads, three platoons, uh, sorted out our uh, command, uh, introduced everybody. Uh, and then after that, we basically, I think that was for six o'clock. And then by seven, we had to be at our um, sort of HQ, which was our uh, stepping off points. Um, and from there, uh, everything as like every good plan went completely sideways. Of it was course. very entertaining. Um, <laughs> everybody, you know, pulled together, made things happen. It was all good. But at the same time, uh, it's uh, entertaining how organized when you say chaos. something, yeah, organized <laughs> chaos would be great uh, definition of that. Um, so how many troops were you leading under you and how many platoons did you have? Yeah, so three platoons, and on I think the number was around 146. I could be wrong. I fought on my side on uh, on uh, uh, blue. Yeah, I think was the, that right, the Scott? Yeah, the final count was like 134 to 132. Okay, like yeah, that. it's pretty we even then. Yeah, we evened it out pretty good. A lot of people jumped over from one side to the other to help balance the teams. Okay, so you got a company size of three platoons almost. Uh, yep. with, okay, yeah, yeah, for both yeah. sides. Yeah, uh, yeah, definitely. Okay, and then uh, for Justin, um, you are the Republic of Estrad, red, and you were south of the DMZ. That correct is correct. That now, yeah. So, definitely. what what was um? How did you guys start off with your day at that seven o'clock mark? An underwhelming game start speech. No, uh, but the, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um. You know, you, you, you psych yourself up for it and you get ready for it. And then you're like, wow, I've forgotten all the points except for the game safety uh, points. So, uh, but we got the same as uh, Craig. We had uh, uh, a speech, getting everyone organized into their platoons, getting the stragglers who hadn't been assigned because uh, they're the latecomers to the registration on the event or just weren't on Facebook, uh, getting them into their platoons and uh, getting one, everyone organized, understanding the basic uh, plan uh, where we're going. And then we marched out to HQ, uh, which is in the southeastern part of the field, and got radios, comms sorted out. And then, um, yeah, as, as Craig said, uh, as all best laid plans go, everything fell apart immediately, uh, ran into a bunch of comms issues with different platoons on different nets and... Uh, Luckily, I had a professionally trained RTO to be able to uh, uh, go around and uh, keep keep contact with at least two of my platoons uh, for the first few hours. And then we we eventually uh, found the other one. Uh, they were doing their job, though. They were fighting, but it's just, you know, staying in contact with them so that they could be supported. Oh, OK, um, so the very first part, uh, I'm sure it wasn't a big firefight at the very beginning. You did have uh, DMZ at the middle, which was the... I keep seeing photos of it. I think it's the highlight of the entire event was basically the big town that was in the middle. Uh -huh. I think that was more of a Julian side of things when he built that town, I guess. Um, uh, well, Craig, you... Craig built the town, but okay. uh, all the lights were, were Julian and his crew set that up. So they definitely made uh, made the nighttime play quite a bit more epic with, with all the lights. Oh, that's good. So not a lot of people complaining that, you know, they were going up against like people like nods and stuff. It's more like hey, big light over there, let's go fight over there, sort of deal. Was that sort of the feeling that everybody got? Well, that's what we were hoping. Mm -hmm. And at least on my side, uh, 
I mean, my, my, the way I lined up my forces uh, was going to be sort of, or to sort of cradle the town and then swing down to the south, to the uh, south. But uh, Justin apparently had a plan also. <laughs> and uh, it uh, sort of in, uh, caught up with one of my forces, uh, first platoon on the east side. Uh, and it turned into this massive, uh, quite look, epic battle on the uh, on the opposite side of the field furthest away from the town which literally was this running battle for three and a half hours uh, of non-stop we were uh, from my side I was uh, struggling with um, communications we were sort of still getting them up and sorting them out we had we had one radio working over to first platoon uh, Justin decided that I guess he was going to try to blow a hole through my left flank or my, yeah, my left flank. And uh, first platoon was there and uh, I had a plan to go through his right flank, but uh, <laughs> he outmanned me. And uh, this, this epic battle goes on where for, like I said, three hours there. Uh, on the first day. In, yeah, on the first yeah. night, yeah. right off the start. I got uh, uh, my second platoon is organizing and working with uh, trying to negotiate with the uh, UN forces. Uh, my th uh, third platoon, which is in the center, is sort of trying to uh, protect my position while uh, Justin's pushing up against it. But first, and I'm not sure what units of, uh, of Justin's force, but they, like I said, it just starts as this massive battle. All I have is a is a radio. Um, Joel, my my uh, uh, my second is running uh, first platoon. We're trying to run reinforcements. We're trying to get them extra ammo. We're trying to get communications up. We get two runs in, and like I said, like after three and a half hours, they're they're running out of ammo and water. I'm able to finally find my way over to see them just to see the very end. And it was epic where the lights all come in. A huge battle occurs across a road. And I'm just like standing at the far end, sort of hiding in the bush, trying to figure out how to come in, how to get into my own forces because they have no radio and it's dark. And suddenly one of my guys has bagpipes. And the bagpipes start playing. I saw that. I heard about this. Yeah. <laughs> it was just amazing. It was this, and Justin's forces, it was where first had run out of ammo, all the medic supplies were done. Most of the forces were on the last couple of rounds. They have this one last battle. The, the bagpipes come on. And funny enough, it's the, the theme song from Star Wars. And uh, <laughs> how appropriate. We're, we're first. Perish, perished on that far side, but it took them three and a half hours of of just an amazing battle. I think Justin, you pretty from your side. I think it was a, a pretty happy bunch of guys who were running up and down through the mud trying to make that uh, try to crack that nut, but uh, they finally did. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that was a big shout out to anyone from Third Platoon listening right now because <laughs> they they pushed that right flank hard and they kept pushing all night long. Uh, like you said, it was three and a half hours of, of fighting. Unfortunately, I was stuck trying to figure out comms issues in the, the back end of the field. So I didn't get any of that epic, but I got a lot of cool stories afterwards, you know. And the funny thing is, back to KOE and GOA, 
uh, they were one of the units in third platoon. So they were fighting the people playing the Star Wars theme song. So that's hilarious. Um, did you all did you all converge into the uh, the Star Wars uh, theme song? Like, oh, they're playing something there. We gotta attack it. Well, we we couldn't yeah. hear it because it was actually in the northern part of the field. Oh. We had, we had uh, third platoon had moved so far up that they were actually in the vicinity of where um, a blues uh, HQ, the old ruins uh, area on the map, and uh, near their their new HQ. And uh, yeah, so epic battle going on in the back flank of uh, Blue there. So they put right. in a really good fight. And then in the meantime, during the night, my first and second platoon were in there uh, doing everything from negotiating and giving a large amount of BBs uh, to the UN forces so that they could pass by. But the UN forces weren't like, oh yeah, your entire squad or platoon could pass through to give us a few hundred BBs. They were like, all right, we'll take one bag. We'll take a couple bags from you, but only three of you can pass through. <laughs> so they would just let like three players through and it'd be like very like three guys aren't going to do much against nope. the other, a fully sized squad on the other side. So, so it was hilarious. Let me back up here. Um, what was the role of the UN group? Was it just to control that LOC between North and South and to prevent passage for or easy passage for red or blue to go up and down. Is that correct? Yeah, I, I mean, uh, I think Craig and Scott can speak to this a little bit more, but uh, definitely slowed down the the ability to move across. Uh, a lot of the players really loved the the limited role play that that happened between them and the the UN forces. Gave yeah. it a little bit more story spice, and uh, the UN forces were loving it. They were eating it up. So I think that it not only did it provide that that control of that line. Uh, but also just a little bit more story elements. And rather than two sides running at each other, having a large BB fight in the middle of the, well, at sunset, it, it, it slowed things down and made it a slow burn at the beginning, which was nice, I think. Okay. So I see that they're acting as like that area there, the buffer zone. Um, what I want to know is what, what, what was that initial um, sort of uh, flashpoint? Who, who shot for it? Was it red? Or was it blue? Is it the UN? That's what I want to know now. It was absolutely red. They oh, had... here we go. Here we go. It was, it was definitely go. blue. And also the also the UN dogs. I mean, they shot my men. I saw them laid out in the road. It was a, it was a three-way fight. No one knew who shot first. I mean, they, they ganged Mexican up on us, stand, really. <laughs> The, the 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 dirty blue uh, forces can't even fight by themselves. We're, they have to enlist mercenaries. We're never going to hear the war crime stories, guys. Oh, <laughs> never stop. Okay, so at least yeah, at least the war started. That's 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 how that's how it all starts. Um, so um, as far as uh, weather goes, um, what was the weather for 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 the first day or the entire event? Um. So, I mean, well, leading up to the event, uh, I think it was the Thursday, we literally had every kind of weather you could possibly have. Um, it snowed overnight. Um, we had hail. We had thunder showers with lightning. Um, and then the sun came out. So it was a little of, of everything. Um, so Friday, I think we had a bit of a downpour and a windstorm kind of leading up to start of event. But then Saturday rolled around, the sun came out, and it was uh, it was nice for the rest of the week weekend. Nice. It wasn't wasn't stupid stupid hot, but you know it was warm and the sun was shining, so it was good weather. A little bit. during the nights, it got a little cold though. 
They did oh, down to negative cold. two. Negative oh, wow. two the second they, yeah, night. Yeah. I keep forgetting this is an interior. It does get yeah. colder yeah. Well, than and it is here. There, was, there were no clouds as well, right? Ooh, so any yeah. heat that was there just dissipated immediately. Any uh, emergencies or anything for, for night? No? Everybody hopefully followed uh, nope. the overview? Okay, good. Yeah, most people who were kind of on the edge pulled themselves out a little bit early. And then um, we noticed, you know, a lot of people were starting to kind of hit that that zone of, of like moving over into dangerous territory. So we we called a little early on, on a couple on okay. them, both nights, actually. Also, oh. there were unconfirmed reports of monsters roaming yes. the fields. Yes. Monsters? Yep. Yeah. Some some sort of uh, creature scared our paramedic. Um, and, uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, are we going to name this monster <laughs> for future well, events? <laughs> none of us. None of us saw it. All we know is he was in the back of one of the vehicles we were going out to pick up uh, Justin at uh, Index. I think it was, was it Saturday night? Uh, that Friday was Friday night, night actually. Friday first night. Night. Yeah, first yeah. night. Um, and it was me and someone else in the vehicle with me in the seat driving. And all of a sudden, Tristan started freaking out in the back there and screaming, did you see that? Did you see that? I was like, no, we didn't see anything. Like, well, something was moving real fast and it was real, real big. And then it got in his head. And that was it. And it was there was monsters on the field for the rest of the weekend. Got it, Sasquatch. All right, uh, yes. yeah. Yeah. definitely. Um, uh, I, I want to cover a little bit of the UN forces. Uh, I saw a lot of their footages. Um, so um, the UN forces is mostly comprised of a lot of the admin groups. I believe that's 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 you as well, Scott. Right? Um, not exactly. So was it like... led by Jeff mostly. Jeff was uh, supposed to be like the commander admin as it were of the UN forces and acting as liaison between um, us, the admins and Julian, the, the UN um, mercenary force that was supposed to be uh, like our, our holding action. As okay. So I, I saw a lot of the mercenary forces wearing black. So mm -hmm. they, um, so the story goes that the UN forces did not um, uh, from your overview, you're saying that, they didn't have enough forces or you know um, resources mm -hmm. for, for this conflict. It's a small, it's a small border war yeah. um, that the UN has to take care of. But there's other things in the world that's happening. So they they basically hired mercenary groups. Um, and how did they do or go about um, emulating what the UN is supposed to do? Or did um, they actually do anything UN related, or were they just like a room of uh, a gang that's like out there doing their own murder thing? robos? Tell yeah, us about I mean, the war crimes, Scott. Tell they, us about the war crimes. They played their part quite well. They, you know, they did the the UN thing at the start, mostly just barked at people. There was there was a couple of humorous moments where it was like three guys were telling thirty guys what to do, and the thirty guys were listening for some reason, like forgot that they also had AEGs and could shoot back. Uh, and as Justin was pointing out, there was a lot of negotiations that started happening that we found out about where it was like, oh, they paid us in BBs to get across or someone gave me a bunch of bananas. So I let him and his squad through or random things like that. So it kind of went from them being like a, a decent UN United Nations force to full on mercenary outfit. Um, you know, sort of playing for the highest bidder, as it were. Ah. Um, so the the story of, of their involvement kind of evolved. But as as the intent of what they were supposed to do, which was to help us uh, slow play around the town so it didn't become too chaotic in order for the pyrotechnics to be able to go off without having to kick people out, 
they did very good at holding that and, and keeping that objective um, for us. Okay. Um, Chuck here is reporting that earlier Blue shot a UN checkpoint, but UN de-escalated pretty quickly. Um, I'm guessing mm -hmm. Craig, and what, what, what happened there? Um, at this point, I'm going to just say that um, due to communication issues, I was unable to verify <laughs> Good <that>. call. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I did send Joel uh, my second to negotiate, um, but uh, f what I heard from that side was that by the time they got there, Red had already crossed into no man's land, so they were primarily on a defensive footing from the beginning, so. Sounds like a false flag story. off to me. Oh, 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 don't worry, Justin. Don't worry. I got I got one for you here. So um Julian, the commander of the mercenary forces, uh saying here that Red shot the UN first. Oh. oh. <laughs> Something about uh UN sandwiches were spoiled by uh Red's assault on their position. Hmm. That's what I I don't like salt on my sandwiches either. <laughs> I, I, uh, remember, I like putting you guys in the hot seat here, so <laughs> get used to it. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I'd say that that sounds a lot like uh, the words of a mercenary paid for Ooh. by the Blue Force. So, <laughs> being, I would say that he's probably still in the pocket of Blue's, uh, Blue's corrupt government. This this will continue on to 3.0, I'm guessing. <laughs> Awesome, awesome. Um, so um, let's hear. Uh, let's let's move on to Saturday now. Um, so oh, actually, before that, did the night ops work out for you guys uh, on the first day? Um, for for both sides, was there a high attrition rate, or was there like, oh, it's dark, let's go camp out, or was it like everybody, you know, all three platoons under your team continued on to fight until what is it like three a.m. or two a.m. I believe until game end. Two a.m. was scheduled game end. Okay. Yeah. Two. I think we finished it around twelve thirty. Okay. Um, yeah. But still, was, was it still exactly. strong? Yeah. 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 Um, basically, around uh, eleven thirty, I made it out to first platoon, um, and that was sort of where they finished up, and then they were falling back. Uh, by the time I got back to my command, on. Fortunately, Justin's forces had uh, been quite aggressive. We were sort of uh, pinned into uh, a bit of a corner just around uh, the, between the town and uh, Hill uh, 606 and Gate, I think, 7. So we sort of were drawn down into that area, um, sort of holding a line in there. But um, there were still quite a few guys on the field. And that was around 1230 um, my forces were limited due to night vision and, uh, pretty exhausted, but, um, I think Justin's guys were still pretty eager. I think they were like engaging NATO or uh, UN forces full on. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it was, we had a, I think overall our forces had a pretty equal level of capabilities when it came to, uh, night vision ish, um, but it was spread throughout our, all of our platoons. I saw an attrition of a lot of uh, non-night uh, vision players uh, as as the night kind of wore on. It got a lot colder. Um, also, you know, much to third platoons, like props to them, they had fought for four hours straight. And a lot of them started heading off the field just because we were 
things were, were uh, standing down for a little bit. And then uh, one of my recon teams, UTAC, they, uh, they did a great job um, making them seem like they were a lot bigger than they were causing hell in the back end of uh, uh, blues uh, forces. So, but yeah, just generally speaking, um, people, people uh, stuck it out and especially the, the more uh, experienced groups um, we had the black devils out from uh, Saskatchewan and um, sorry guys, I don't remember all your team names off the top of my head, uh, but a bunch of guys who have had many, uh, many MSWs under their belt uh, with experiences with night ops and night patrols and the people that had experience with that stayed around and the newer people who just kind of want to chill out and go grab some dinner back in their chalet or whatever did that as well. So we saw a slow attrition over the night, but by the end of the night, we still had people to pull off the field because they were ready to fight until, you know, 5 a.m. Oh, okay. Um, a question uh, for you. I, Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, I just wanted to add in that uh, I've kind of forgot about this, that um, Brooks um, Recce, who was my Recce squad, um, yeah, they were right out till, what was the what was the time on the picture they took there, Scott? Well, so the Friday night, the game ended at midnight because I had said to Brooke, here's an objective. You need to take it by midnight, not realizing at the time that there was 15 minutes to go until midnight. And so his team, um, with permission from Craig, then sprinted uh, basically across the entirety of the, the playing area to get to the objective within 30 seconds of midnight. Yeah, oh, they, they sprinted wow. about three hours. <laughs> Yeah. Leave it to Brooke to clutch it, huh? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Brooke was a pain in my ass the entire uh <laughs> entire <laughs> I think I think honestly, uh both sides, uh recons teams uh performed yeah, both admirably. They were amazing. Okay. So, so I just shout out to both sides because you guys did great. Oh so note yeah, every time I started to formulate a plan, I'd get pecked at from behind. And it'd be, I'd always be like, okay, who is it? How many are there? And then later on talking to them, it's that was that damn recon team that would just come up, get seen, pull back, shoot a little bit, and then just keep poking and keep moving around my perimeter. They were very annoying, I must admit. <laughs> okay, awesome. Um, so having it as a tier two event really help you guys out in terms of uh, like keeping the players going then? Okay. Yeah, I think so. I mean, again, like everybody's at a, a different level as far as um, fitness and endurance goes, and then also gear wise. And the the field itself, I mean, the temperature was a fairly massive swing to go from about whatever it was, like 15, 16 degrees in the day to, you know, zero or below at night. That That's a fairly large swing. And most people are not generally equipped to jump from the kind of heat to the kind of cold on the fly like that. So I think a lot of people just basically just the, the environment took it out of them and they had to call it at some point, which is why we ended the game a little earlier than planned because it was reaching that point where it's like, look, there's not enough people to make sure that we, we're keeping track of everyone for safety purposes. It is getting real cold out here. And, uh, and we were seeing, you know, a fair number of people starting to leave. And it was kind of like that balance point of what's, what's fun, what's safe, and, and how to keep guys fresh for the next day. Okay, and to keep things balanced, did the um, I know we've done medic rules before with your event. The ammunition one um, limitation was sort of a new thing that you guys introduced. Mm -hmm. How did that play out in terms of changing the game pace, game style? 
Was it different? Was it the same? Was it? Um... Oh no, it was. It was definitely different. Um, I mean, so so personally, I've heard more positive uh, feedback on that. There were some people that had some negative feedback, mostly due to like weight um, of the of the BBs that prefer heavier, because a lot of people around here tend to shoot heavier weights. But it did help from our perspective as the admins to help keep the game going uh at a particular pace and it helped up the intensity every firefight meant something because you had only so much to throw into it before it would start to become a bit of a drain um so from our perspective as the admin it really helped on on that front and justin and craig can speak to how it worked for them yeah let's hear the logistics and supply issues that you're going to get out of this <laughs> on my side um first on the uh, with with first platoon uh, fighting on the far side of the field and being initially cut off. Uh, we had to do runners with ammo. Um, we had to break through the line just to get small amounts into them uh, near the, the beginning of the fight. And then we had to do a ammo resupply where we had to go completely around, uh, drop off ammo in behind, which meant our, our unit had to fall back collect up the unit, collect up the ammo, and then move forward and resupply the force in the field while they were fighting. It, it definitely meant that you had to uh, count every round you had. Um, everything was, um, there was no just, let's just hose people down and overshoot and uh, just fire randomly. And even that annoying thing where people have a tendency of like, um, just shooting that one round off to see if their gun still works. Nobody was doing that because every round went, meant that ah, that was my last, my, you know, last one. Um, I know on for first, um, it was critical to be the, the, the way they played uh, was completely um, based off of ammo and medic water. So that played a huge part. Logistics <laughs> played a huge part in your, in your planning at this point, the logistics and supply, because you, you also got to, yeah, yeah. you also got to deal with medical supply as well. Um, Priority wise, like they were the ones who were in the biggest gap, biggest battle. So uh, drawing extra forces away from um, third and second, just to make sure that ammo was being delivered and getting out to them. Yeah. Okay. And Justin, for you, same sort of uh, dynamic that it added more pressure commanding. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it definitely adds all the way down the, the hierarchy. So um, you had platoon commanders that were much more concerned, obviously, about um, their resupply. When is it happening? What's what's happening? Um, but uh, same thing with third. You know, they they constantly were needing more ammo. Uh, because of the pressure they were putting on the right uh, flank. Same thing with first, actually. They were one of the the far left flank, which would have been pushing up against the bottom end of the uh, town. And they spent a long time grinding against um, uh, UN forces after, of course, they were fired upon. Um, <laughs> and, allegedly, uh, allegedly. 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 But I mean, you know, I'm, just, I'm, I'm told what I'm told uh, mm -hmm. by forces in the field. The... Uh, yeah, so it, it added to the gameplay, I think. Um, I think that they're, yeah, just in general, uh, I enjoy that aspect of gameplay because the most people don't realize that the military is good at what it does because it moves large amounts of stuff 
from one point to another and that's warfare that's basically the gist of what war is yeah. so it, to me it's a it's a fun little tactical game of like oh we got to get this this ammo to this squad uh we got to get their people up we got to get medical water here and so as a commander it provides me a little bit of a strategical element to the whole issue at hand which is the battle okay and scott was there a, a finite amount or a limited amount of ammo for both teams to start off with or did you just start handing them off as, as no they needed it? so at, uh part of it was as the game briefing was between six and seven get to meet your commander get your assignment and then they moved out to their start location and then each player each rifleman was given 600 rounds which um should be enough to fill up five mid caps um Support gunners like LMGs were given 1,200. Uh, snipers were given 100 sniper rounds each. Um, and then there was like periodic resupplies that we had planned out, like resupply windows. Uh, but the commanders could also call in if they were, you know, particularly running low if a unit had been pushing hard or whatever. So there was um, more than enough we'd calculated out for the entirety of the event. Um, and uh, we ended up, the, when we checked in with people during the course of the event, there was a lot of people who would said, you know, they'd maybe shot like five mags during the entire course of the event. Um, there was obviously some people that were a bit heavier, probably the guys in uh, first platoon for Craig, third platoon for, for Justin had shot more than that. Um, but everyone was, was, was actually quite light on the trigger in comparison to the 2019 event. Mm-hmm. And and that was part of why we did what we did was one by standardizing the weights. Some of the feedback we got was guys who are newer to the game, who don't have their gear, their guns teched up um, all the way to the top of the, the technology um, spectrum felt like they could compete because everybody was using similar weights. They weren't really getting outranged or outshot. So it made everybody feel like they're on, more of an even tech playing field and it came down to the skill level uh instead and then also the the limited ammo also made people pick their shots more and it made each firefight mean something to them because it meant you're using a, lo- a finite resource at least as far as that particular firefight goes okay so it becomes a resource war now um was there any sort of like i know we're trying to i, I just want to emphasize more on um just the logistics and supply aspect of it because um, was there a lot more players searching dead bodies or going to loot a like a command post for like ammo or something like that? Was was there a lot more of that? There was um, an event. <laughs> I'd say that um, it was. Um, there was a few times where we were actively looking for um, red uh, supplies and also. Uh, their uh, respawns and even any dead players that we could check. Uh, there was a definite search for ammo on our side anyway. Yep, same, same uh, on our side. It was a lot of people were scavenging as they went. Uh, you know, as they pushed forward, they found players, dead players, and they basically survived off of the extra BBs that they found. And because on the first night we, uh, on red side, we got a uh, resupply very late um, due to a bunch of different reasons, most of them being radios. Uh, and uh, so ultimately it led to us having to scavenge for more av- ammo and 
uh, yeah, take over the dead. Okay. Quote unquote. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So, um, so day two, next day, um, let's start off with, um, how things, uh, rolled out. I'm sure this is when the, uh, helicopter scene sort of happened. And as yep. well as your explosion, it was this was this explosion scene at the end because I feel like it was at the end of the event. I, I know you guys usually do the big ones. Uh, so there was a the main pyrotechnics display was planned for the helicopters, which was to kick off Saturday morning. Oh, it was okay. a secondary one that happened on the Sunday uh, around uh, as the conclusion of the of the event. Um, so yeah, so we had set it up so there was. Um, for four helo landings there was you know two teams of five for each side blue and red and um the way we had set it up was the helicopter was going to try and land at the at the hospital um the intention being that you know there'd been reports of the mad scientist in being held at that facility by the the mercenary forces and um each side was looking to try and secure him and either secure his services or try him for war crimes or, you know, whatever nefarious plans, both um, the Republic of Estrada and the, the Biscana Liberation um, forces were trying to do. Um, but the facility kept coming under artillery fire, which was the pyrotechnics display. And so the helicopters ended up having to wave off and go and land elsewhere and, and dump their players um, at secondary objective points, which are generally speaking in the opposing forces uh, side. Uh, did the uh, guys from the helicopter were, were they able to see the explosion on the ground did it look cool i i didn't see oh, yeah. the videos on it but it looked pretty awesome on the ground uh i'm still waiting for that a lot of the guys in the helicopter had gopros and i made sure they were running before the 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 bird took off um but the pilot got as co- as close as he was comfortable to get with things blowing up and him in the air but yeah he was giving them a, a fairly decent show of the little like region we had placed the town in. So they should have had some really good uh, sight lines. Uh, I know a bunch of the Marauders went, they said that it was a pretty good show from their perspective. Nice. So um, from the two commanders, how did you guys uh, start off your, uh, your Saturday? Um, whichever one wants to go first. <laughs> I, I'll go first. Um... Well, it was a first yeah, order of things. Yeah. Yeah. First, first order, order things and... for me yeah. was, uh, we uh after the night before um i sh- we shuffled the units around a bit to um help get them um am i still uh on yeah yeah yeah, yeah. you're on you're still good. okay sorry everything went black so uh we shuffled our units around because on the first night second platoon had a pretty quiet evening and first ran all night long so we pushed for uh second out underneath the town to engage uh, red uh, and cut them off uh, and kept first somewhat in the rear as a reserve force. They ended up pushing into the middle and I was basically standing about the halfway point between my forces um, and Hill 606 and I could still feel the ground uh, thump and also the flash, the heat of the flashes when the uh, pyros went off as the helicopters went by. So it was a great perspective. Everybody sort of stopped. We wanted to, I was trying to keep my forces close enough in so we could swing around underneath the town, but it also sort of made uh, for a fairly good show for everybody to see some of the pyros um, indirectly, or at least they could really feel the the thumps as they went off. So everyone seemed pretty happy. 
Hold on. Was this explosion bigger than Crack Shack? For those people who don't know um, the story behind it. If you know, you know. If you don't, look it up. (laughs) I cannot confirm, deny, or confirm that. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) there there was a a good thump and some pretty large fireballs. From the, the videos, you can see you're... Like most of those videos, videos are taken at about almost uh, 200 yards away. So, so you know, pretty it was still small, pretty big. 200 yards, but exactly, yeah, I'm yeah sure. Up close so if you big. were exactly where you were in that 150, 100 yards, and 50 yards, it fills the sky, especially overhead. So, yeah. yeah. Well, congrats, guys! I've done yeah. yourself yet again. <laughs> so, so I, I was any credit the... for that? We have to. Our pyro guys were brilliant. Yeah. I was at the at the airport, obviously, getting the guys loaded into the helicopter there, and I could feel the ground shaking over there. I hope so. I hope no calls to the authorities. No, no. Everybody knew. Everybody what knew what was going on. Okay. Just the, sure. Honestly, the entire town of Hundred Mile knew what was going on by Thursday morning, because okay. we spoke to people on on the Wednesday, and the word went out. You know, it's a fairly small town, and so. You know, everyone all of a sudden knew there was this thing called airsoft going on and there was going to be stuff happening and whatnot. So you know, everyone was well aware of it. Um, and, okay, and that's good. There were no calls. There was no emergency services that showed up or anything like that. Uh, it was all perfectly safe, but it yeah, was just definitely... Just making sure, like, you know, explosions, yeah. you guys, you guys are the best at that and uh, <laughs> the other things that come along with it. <laughs> yeah. All right. I uh... think the, the ones on the Saturday weren't, they weren't quite at the level of crack shack. Um, it, there was a series of, of booms that went off with the big one being probably close to the crack shack level. The Sunday, there was the, the big birther um, one that was um, that was crack shack level. Okay. Yeah, definitely. All right. Um, sorry. Uh, continue on with the Saturday uh, um, from uh, Craig or uh, Justin, everyone. Well, I can just uh, go to the point of the initial helo insertions from our perspective. Yep. Uh, we got started on the field and read... Uh, you know, knowing that the UN had uh, uh, betrayed their their role mm-hmm. as peacekeepers, uh, decided that we wished to take the the town. Uh, so all of my different platoons started moving in uh, from the south uh, to basically move across as a line to control that entire line of patrol, and then eventually take the city. That was the plan. Um, however, it seems Blue took their their lickings and learned uh, very uh, very quickly. Uh, from the last night to not give us too much breathing room or else we're going to get in your back 40. So the um, essentially got up to the point, I was approximately about, I don't know, 400 meters away from uh, the town to the southeast of it, uh, around some small lakes, water features to the southeast. And uh, when the the, uh, explosions were going off and uh, I could definitely see them through the trees, and also feel them. It was, uh, it was a great experience. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, everyone was like, I'm just like, all right, guys, it's about time. So it's about time. Pre- prepare yourself for, for some interesting times. Uh, we got helicopter insertions coming in. Walk, watch towards the town. They might be coming from there. And uh, yeah, everyone had a smile on their face after the first few. Awesome. Yeah. That's, that's, a, that's an impressive sort of uh, like everything happening at the same time. And then, Boom, game starts. That's um, coordination. Yeah, that's pretty good coordination then. Actually, um, the game had already started. Um, oh, okay. The, the, the game was actually in full play. 
all three of my platoons were up against uh, Justin's forces all to the sort of north of the town. And the uh, Hilo guys were coming in and that was already about 45 minutes into the game. Yep. So there's like, you have the contact of fighting the guys in front of you, the big flashes going off, the helicopters going overhead, um, the, the, the booms and the bangs and just the chaos and mayhem. So a little bit of everything was happening. That was what we always wanted to do was that everything we did was not going to be like before the game or, or after the game had finished, but actually part of the game and during it and to make it um, as live as, as possible while still being safe. And that was sort of where our UN forces came into, um, into being is that they made sure that the control area that we needed for safety was, was them. Okay. So overall, great, great experience for everybody playing then at the very beginning. So um, give us a play-by-play -play of what happened for the rest of the day until, um, what is it, that break at around uh, 4 o'clock, I believe? 4 o'clock, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so. so yeah, go ahead. I'll, I'll go because this, yeah. it was a very interesting thing from my perspective. Uh, at this point, um, because of a lot of different comms issues, uh, we had a, basically all three platoons online. So company was online fighting against the entire company and the UN. Uh, eventually, the UN started trying to push us back and push us out of the city, um, which happened, but we just pushed back. And it was a back and forth for a little while. But um, with uh, Brooks Recon Unit and my back 40, as well as the, the helicopter elements that had just landed, we knew that we had people behind us. So we had uh, my recon elements out there hunting for them. And then um, as things progressed, uh, just as happens with online for combat between two forces, we got pushed back a little bit um, and started to fold in. If you look at the map, if uh, anyone has the map available, there's this little um, backwards L shape on the right, the middle of the map. And uh, there, where, that's where our, our FOB had been moved to. Uh, so that was where we were responding from, working out of, and we had actually gotten pushed back by the UN forces into a pocket there. And then blue had started to encircle us from behind. Uh, and at this point, basically we had two options is sit there, fight until we were actually, we were, uh, absolutely decimated or unpack everything, put everything on our backs and literally run into blue's territory. So we did a fighting uh, advance north along the far east side of the, the map, uh, the, uh, the map that you'll see uh, up the main road. And uh, I had one UN guy come to me uh, at the end of the event. And he's like, so how close were we to like getting you? Like 15 minutes. You guys, you guys would have had us within 15 minutes. If you would have pushed a little bit harder, you would have you totally encircled us. But to all of Red's... Uh, you know, uh, credit, they, they got their asses up. They carried a crap ton of weight and everyone was learning how to do an Aussie, uh, uphill. Just yep. we're peeling up that road. Oh, there you go. Yeah, uh, if you can see that oh, map there. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, oh my so God. Like, uh, those Monopoly pieces. Yeah. So at the end, at the end of this, this whole advance, by the time the 4 PM, uh, advance had, had uh we broke for the day well for the beginning part of the day uh we had our fob set up in that clearing you can see to the the left of uh, p3 there 
And so okay. we were now in Blue's backyard. Uh, and we, yeah, we had essentially just relocated completely. Oh, wow. So you headed all the way, that's north, right? Yep. You headed all the way north. And then you basically like went into their territory at that point and set up. So you're exactly. on that 90 degree angle. You're pretty close to getting decimated then with your three platoons. Is that correct? Totally. Yeah. We had gotten completely encircled because wow. essentially with, between comms issues and also the UN was definitely working with blue. Hence why I say that they're definitely uh, bought and paid for. So I'll, because Craig, Craig, they Craig, were I want to know how, were... how much did you pay them? Let, let me hear. How much did you pay them? <laughs> Probably two bananas. <laughs> and a bag of BBs, apparently. Yes. Craig has his ways, we, what, I tell you. Well, Craig has his ways. What it was was that my second platoon uh, commander spent some quality time negotiating the night before, Parts and it lines. played us dividends. Um, he uh, got in there, was calm, was their friend, Asked, they handed over his weapons so he could even go in and communicate with them. Uh, he, he had his men stand down on that sort of left flank. And all we did was, was move up next to their territory. We didn't invade it. Um, it was actually because, and, and there was some sort of story about the uh, NATO guys trying to have dinner and Red kept hitting them on the other side and they became really annoyed. And we just exploited that by just being as friendly and whatnot. Plus, our initial plan, uh, uh, as um, as it was for for Bastana, was to basically move up against NATO, um, protect them from a, a red advance, because we wanted to get hold of the uh, scientist who had been captured recently, ah. and. Uh, they we had negotiated with them for him to be handed over to us and the idea was that our helicopters were coming in on a saturday morning to pick them up and that's where everything went wrong and because red was just so aggressive mm -hmm. uh, we just exploited that so let's talk about the scientists here and how he played the role in 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 both of your objectives um uh, from Red's perspective, um, was that a main objective for you guys, or was it just like after that? It's just like okay, we can't push anymore. We're just gonna we're on survival mode at this point. Did you just give up on on him? Uh, no. So I mean, the the main objective was to uh, basically regain our balance and then launch new new attacks from the northeast and then try to encircle blue or wipe out their command capacity uh, because we knew that. They had forces between us and their command the command center. We weren't exactly aware where it was, but we wanted to find it. And then the idea was to essentially now encircle the town from the north and then have them cut off from their respawn capability as well as get get control of the scientist. Because throughout the entire first and second day, they the the scientist was a primary um, uh, high value target. Uh, in not the shooting sort, but yep. in the capturing sort. Yeah. Uh, so, for us. so how 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 valuable was intel of location to scientists? Was it always on on target, or was it like was it like you know he's at this sector, or was it like were you getting was, other other sort of stories out of it? So the funny thing is, is the limited amount of little role play that happened with you and faction and uh, all the players led to rumors. And it's hilarious how rumors have a way of affecting a game as they kind of evolve. 
Uh, so we got rumors of, yeah, the scientist is perhaps in the town. Oh no, he's actually in Blue's headquarters. Uh, so you'd be hearing things from different players who had got them, but didn't necessarily know how to vet their intelligence. Mm -hmm. So they were just hearing rumors from UN players being like, oh no, he's, he's with the Blue Command now. So anyways, so the, the point is, is that it was an interesting experience trying to figure out what was real and what wasn't. And then utilizing recon units or something like that to actually verify intelligence. Okay. And for Craig, was it the same for you? Was it initially like, oh yeah, he's here or you, you hear rumors here and there, or was it like, you know, from players word of mouth? Um, yeah, a little bit about a bit of that. We did, I did sort of get eyes on, um, him in the town, but he was still in the possession of the UN and they weren't willing to give him up yet uh, because they sort of knew that was one of their last big cards they could play. So they were holding on to him. We were just sort of like, okay, if you're going to hold on to him, at least we know where he is. And if we have to grab him, we know where to find him. So uh, were you already then, course, were you already thinking of bargaining? Yeah. Oh, I knew you were. Oh, totally, totally. Yeah, there was there was a point <laughs> where UN was working with us, but we knew that that could only go so far. So there there was on the Saturday after morning, I I had um, uh, I think second squad of um, first platoon were literally hiding in the shadows of the north side of the town. Uh, staying completely out of sight, but they were instructed that if any at any moment that they were, you know, they heard the word, you know, broken arrow, broken arrow, they were to just rush in and go for the hospital and grab the, the doctor while I had a sniper team basically sitting above the, the minefield facing into the field. And their job was if anything goes wrong, take out the two guys in the tower. And that was like, we had a full plan and whatever. It would go horribly wrong much later in the game, but we did have a plan to start. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm starting to see a theme here with both of the teams. Justin, I'm starting to see that, you know, you're, you're dealing with brute force all the time. And then you got Craig who is dealing with, you know, a silver tongue here of, of just like negotiating planning and talking to people is, is that is that what i'm seeing here like I, i'm starting to notice a pattern <laughs> yeah. i would say that i have that both been of called us a silver fox yep, <laughs> yep. I, I would say that both <laughs> of us have very unique command uh, command yeah, yeah, yeah. uh styles yeah and, and, and it, it plays out to the character of your company basically yeah and i would say that as much as as much as it's brute strength it's also maneuvering uh i have to i have to give all of red team credit because um, there's stories of MSW's past where people dug fobs for an entire day and were forced to do that. I felt bad to make my guys run for hours, basically across the field to survive. I'm sure they uh, they, they did. I mean, there was some great running firefights. Uh, everyone was really gassed by the end of the of the 4 p.m. cutoff time, so they were they were glad to get dinner. Okay, and uh, Scott, well, from your perspective, oh, sorry, go ahead. You were going to say something. I was just going to say I will point out that Red Team did try to negotiate with uh, the UN forces a number of times. Uh, I believe every time they said we need Red Commander, and Justin went up there, uh, he was assassinated. Though, so communications broke down rather quickly between Red <laughs> by and the, UN. by the scientist. Yeah, Wait, was, put, they, was, the uh, scientist shot. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, <laughs> 
I was uh, I was brought up to the the front lines because one of my platoons was starting to negotiate with UN forces, and I'm they're like, oh well, we're gonna go. I'm like, well, I'm I'm the commander. I can go ahead and negotiate for us. And they're like, okay. So I lean over to my XO and I say, if I'm not back in half an hour, kill everyone. And uh, <laughs> uh, so they drive they drive me into the town and they bring me into one of the smaller buildings. And I'm just like, this is weird. And everyone has their phones out. So I'm like, okay, something something's <laughs> off. I'm like, am I being detained right now? They're like, no, 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 no. You're just gonna have a negotiation with the scientist. And uh, so the scientist walks up to me, turns around with his back to me. He's like, I just want to try something. And I'm like, oh. what do you want to try? He turns around, pulls out a double-barreled block, and then shoots me. That sounds like a crime. <laughs> I mean, well, and then... A I'd doctor, be- a scientist, a man of and, science? And we, can we confirm and- this? Do we have well, video I mean, evidence uh, of this? I, you're going to have to talk to the mercenaries that were bought by Blue. <laughs> Because obviously these war crimes were committed by under the uh, the banner of the the Liberated Union. I'm, I'm I'm sure this footage floating around on the dark web, you know, being sold, <laughs> traded for. So, guys, I want to see this. Let's... I was medicked afterwards, so just so you know, this is totally in character knowledge. Totally survived. Ronald yeah. Reagan did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and in his defense, the scientist felt terrible about it too. Oh, he did. Okay. Yeah. Um, from uh, Scott, from your perspective as an admin, um, how did the uh, the scientists uh, sort of progress in the story from the very beginning and then till till the lunch break there? Um, well, I mean, like his role on this, the Saturday in particular, was really just to be an agent of chaos, to sort of add to things and and um, add to the confusion and, and be a presence on the field. Uh, Game wise, he didn't have a specific. Uh, purpose um, prior to the Sunday where, where the rocket was, was the big show. It was really just more to be like a tantalizing objective there for red and blue to go after. Um, and he did that really well. The, the UN Merc guys really sort of worked with him and became his cronies. And obviously he got involved in shenanigans with, with Justin. Uh, um, and I think some people tried to bribe him as well uh, on the Saturday. There was Twinkies or something like this involved. One of my guys ends up in jail. Okay. Somewhere. Um, so anyway, someone ended up in jail. I don't remember the specific circumstances of how so, that happened, but there was a lot of jail involved for random people. There's jail in here. A oh, lot of man, random jailing. Yeah. Yeah, All right. So let, let's hear. Let's hear what what is the situation with this jail part? What like why did he get jailed? What what did he? What was this war crime? So I want to hear this. I want to hear the mock well, trial. In this particular no case, uh, present Dave your evidence. Blair, uh, <laughs> if I have to put any more names to that, Dave Blair. Um, oh was sent forward uh, to help um, negotiate inside the town. And just as we were controlling the town, but we didn't control the, uh, the hospital and the police station, which was on the uh, east side of the town. And uh, Dave and the scientists got into a open uh, gunfight. Uh, and thus the uh, UN forces swept in, arrest, arrested both of them. And uh, put them in jail, put them in a timeout, you know, for being bad boys, um, which was uh, funny, but also awkward, as that was my um, point of contact for negotiations. And he was behind bars. 
Oh, did negotiations <laughs> break down when there was a fight? It started to fall apart there, yes. Okay, did you have to pry him out, or was there some sort of, like, bail process? That you Actually, no, you know, I I just left him there. I just, <laughs> yeah, never mind, it's Dave. Knowing your two rivalries. It's probably I best that Dave <laughs> is in jail and is where I know he is. I know your guys' history. I, I know your guys' yeah. history. For people that don't know, yeah. it goes way, way back, and uh, I think... I think I think you did you did the right thing, but I'm sorry, Blair. But the, the question, though, Greg, is: Did you send him a care package with a Snickers in it? <laughs> Nothing. I wanted not even something. a file. Not even a file. Yeah. All right. Not even a file. All right. That's fair. <laughs> and um, I might have actually said to the UN forces, eh, "Well done." <laughs> <laughs> well, if he's listening to this, <laughs> yeah. he did a break anyway. Yeah. Uh, Justin, what about your side? Uh, any imprisonments for for Red, or was it just straight on like execution for your team? I think that it was mostly just firefights okay. during the the first part of the day. With uh, so I don't think that we got any executions that I was that I was aware of uh, for for supposedly. either side. Supposedly, uh, <laughs> I mean, if there would like I said, war crimes are probably all done by blue false flag operations. Um, <laughs> I mean the the. Obviously, as you just heard, the 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 seed of distrust was sowed very early by uh, Blair. Okay. So the uh, but yeah, uh, basically just ended up being kind of being uh, straight on firefights and a lot of um, fire and movement uh, throughout the later part of the day. Okay, so from uh, I'm guessing that op lasted from what is it like uh, not early in the morning, like early afternoon till late afternoon. It's like a four-hour, five-hour. Started at like eight-ish. Eight-ish. Oh, okay. Early. Yeah, afternoon. we were on the field for eight, and I think started at nine and uh, finished at three. Okay. Four. Yeah. Was it three? Yeah, three doesn't or four? really matter. It's like yeah. a seven-hour ordeal then for you. It was. Guys. It was a long one because yeah. uh, the the whole insertion, helo insertion. Uh, there was a little bit of a slow burn there for us. Our forces actually maneuvering to to uh, get close with each other. Uh, once they did, things picked up pretty quickly. And um, but it was really around noon where it was really kind of like full on intense firefights. And then um, our whole uh, Ho Chi Minh Trail. I, I don't have a right metaphor for that one. Uh, <laughs> Falling back. <laughs> um, so how was uh, for both sides? How was uh, supply and logistics uh, for your ammunition, uh, medic water, and stuff? How how was that throughout the entire day? Was it was it again getting strained because of the continuous firefight, or was it just you you got you had a constant supply that was that 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 kept you going? Yeah, by this time um, on uh, Saturday morning, uh, Jesse, my uh, radio guy sorted out mine and his radio problems and had me in good contact with all my guys by that time. So we had a lot better control during the day. That was one of the big changes for us that helped us uh, kind of get things rolling after the night before where we struggled. Um, we were able to, yeah, bring in the um, water and ammo on a pretty consistent level. And we were kind of hitting our, I don't know, our, our, our um, game at that point that we were just sort of things were sort of ticking off. It was kind of, I must admit there, I had a couple of good moments where uh, you just got the communications coming in, uh, events are unfolding. You're, there was a moment where second platoon was pushing out on against red 
And at one point we had, uh, I think, snatched their mobile spawn, but then got pinched between two uh, red units that got it back. Uh, but there is like just the communications and stuff. So for us on the second day, first game, um, water and ammo was coming in at a very steady rate and we were happy with our flow. Um, Justin, I think, was doing a bit more traveling. Yeah, for you, yeah. for you, Justin, you're carrying all that stuff with you. We were <laughs> we were carrying it. Yes, very. very I guess Ho Chi Minh Trail works for that. Ah, uh, yes, that's because uh, we were. Um, yeah, uh, we had two two spawn boxes. One was hidden. Uh, then uh, one was carried with us. We were carrying all of the pipes for the tent uh, uh, set up for the fob and all and an ammo box as well. Okay. So between us all and all this other stuff people were carrying, uh, there was a lot of stuff that was moving. Were with you taking? We- uh, sorry, were you taking heavy casualties um, throughout the end of that uh, first Saturday game? Um, yeah, I burning would say through that, medic water. Uh, yeah, we were burning through medic water pretty quickly. Uh, luckily, the we had some pretty good medics on board, and they were good at keeping people together. Uh, unfortunately, as we found. Um, we were not able to resolve as many of our um, communication issues. Uh, we had scattered comms uh, throughout the, the whole um, half, en- half back end of that early uh, or afternoon skirmish. So as people kind of peeled off into dealing with blue, the main force moved up the road but as people kept peeling off, they kept staying there and having their own uh, limited firefights. So we found that um, one of the biggest things was keeping comms, especially as we were a mobile unit now, and we couldn't tell people where to respond. So it took a little while to get uh, word out to everyone. So um, I guess the point, uh, at the end of the day, yes, uh, we ended up taking a lot of attrition uh, because we were fighting a uh, a fighting retreat. Okay. And uh, last question before we move on to the next uh, game, uh, basically, uh, after the break. Um, Was the fighting a little bit more reserved? Like, you were talking about at the first game, you know, firefights were a lot more reserved, a lot more, like, there's less firefights. Your your flashpoints, they're they're quick, and then people would fall back to get ammunition. Was that sort of the same thing for this um, afternoon's game as well? Because everybody was, you know, stacked up with, you know, you got three platoons moving forward. Then you got your three platoons moving forward as well. Was it more sporadic? You fight and then you're running low and then everybody started falling back because it was an attrition. Uh, there was like a, you know, like a, like it, mm. it's basically you're fighting with attrition at that point. See who loses ammo like faster than the other guy. Was was that a thing for for, for both of you commanding? Or I'm, I'm guessing it's more of a like a like a platoon command sort of deal. Because they would see it more than uh, than than the commanders would. Uh, on my side, we were fairly constant with our ammo. Our biggest problem, not problem, but we had gained one of our our targets was that our recon and helicopter um, unit had made it to the top of uh, the hill. I think it was like uh, it was the crossroad of of. Uh, road uh, 67 and by taking that hilltop it was really important for us but 
because Justin's forces were constantly hitting us and cut us off a few times, we were literally running, uh, having, to, having to literally run units up to uh, trade them out on a constant basis. And so that's where the water and ammo became really conserved up there. They were very much uh, um, stuck in their own little Alamo. They couldn't get, get down and we could barely get into them. Uh, Justin kept us quite tied up on that side while he was sneaking around the back door and then engaged us in a very large battle on the backside. Yeah. So to, to that end, uh, we actually ended up in a very large pitch battle because um, we wanted to uh, encircle the town from the north. Okay. Uh, I have to take responsibility for my ultimate defeat in this battle. I didn't have as much field knowledge uh, and I was not aware that I was walking my men into a uh, kill funnel. Uh, one that I could see Craig at the other end of where it, <laughs> I'm like, kill that man. <laughs> um, and apparently he said the same thing to his guys. Um, but yeah, if you, in the, where you see the P2, P3 markers down there in the, um, uh, basically on the far Western part of the field, there's a, uh, a fenced in area that leads into the town. And I wasn't aware that the fences had barbed wire on them. So my guys had to go through a gate. So basically we were marching down either side of a road and getting kind of hit from both sides. And eventually Blue ended up moving a unit behind us and kind of encircling us and taking us out. So, um, you know, well fought uh, on that part and uh, teaches you all to probably do a walk through the field. Well, I did, but not that area. Okay. Um, anyways, so it was a great, great experience, but to your, your question, though, there was fairly sustained combat throughout most of the day, but there was definitely more intense um, portions. Like our, our Ho Chi Minh Trail retreat uh, was definitely a very intense aspect. And then that last combat was like, you know, people dumping pretty much everything that they had left at that, um, excuse me, against Blue in uh, the UN. Okay, perfect. Um, from an admin's perspective, Scott, did it turn out well for you? Like, the way you grandmastered it, or was it um, just everybody just creating their own story at this point? Um, no, I mean, so like part of how we we operate is directed chaos. You know, like we we have uh, kind of like a script, as it were, that we want to see happen in our head. We have a couple of like plot points that we're aiming at, but we also take our cues from what the players are, are doing. So, I mean, having two admins embedded as the commanders help us keep the game, I wouldn't say on rails, but like directed a little bit more. So it doesn't get, you know, totally um, way off what we're trying to aim for. But, um, you know, Craig and Justin weren't necessarily like working together to engineer certain things they were they were going against one another so i think it worked out fairly well from that perspective everybody had a lot of fun it didn't feel like it was a game on rails with with a pre-scripted outcome or anything like that um the your point i mean even though we had limited ammunition as it were like limited it's still five mid caps that's still a, a fairly heavy load um that most people were running with the the reservation came from um, not wasting your ammunition, you know. So, so guys weren't just pot shotting trees for the sake of pot shotting trees. They weren't just putting out a full burst just because they had an extra bag in their backpack that they could dump if they wanted to. 
the the fights when they happened were were tooth and nail you know it was it was very intense fighting but it was directed and it was short bursts of, of violence as it were and then move on to the next objective it was like make sure that what you're doing is worth expenditure of the ammo so it led the fights to feel weightier and the in-between stuff was a lot more you know tactics a lot more strategy a lot more working with the guys in your squad to get yourself into position so i think from that perspective like i'm i'm pretty happy with how i saw the event progressing every time i checked in with guys on the field everyone was having a good time everyone was was really enjoying the format um and you know obviously there's always quibbles here and there but everyone was really enjoying the um the way that the event felt you know it felt um like a milson that everyone was looking for good good um okay so at this point um you guys had a break in the middle of the day at around four o'clock till i think six i believe about six so yeah, yeah. so it's about a two hour three hour break for you guys um was there any uh like particular things that you guys did other than uh eat or was there like giveaways or anything like that in the middle of it yeah we had a prize draw trigger um brought up a whole bunch of stuff so everybody got a raffle ticket when they checked in nice at registration um and then we did a prize draw for that and you know guys came up collected their prizes it was good you know because you get red and blue all into the same space you get to spend some time with the you know the op four um and you're just a bunch of of airsofters hanging out which is one of the things trigger really wanted to see happen um, when they asked us to do this event in, in 2019 they wanted that camaraderie of like yeah your your opposition on the field but when you get off you're all just airsofters you're there to have a good time and that really fits with what we want as omega ops we want to do good events that everybody enjoys and the rivalry is something that exists only on the field for the purposes of, of, you know, friendly competition, but then you step off and you're all the same. You're all just a bunch of, you know, airsoft geeks that are just there to have a good time. A bunch of LARPers and nerds out at the field. Exactly. Got yeah. It. Yep. Okay. So let's start off with, uh, I guess this is game three or, um, after the halftime. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so what was the, uh, what was the main sort of, uh, order a battle order um, for you, uh, red or blue, um, whichever one wants to start. You want to go ahead first, uh, Justin? Sure. Yeah. So uh, essentially, um, we had to do a little bit of a um, the way that we started off was actually with a respawn back near uh, red uh, HQ um, back in the southern part of the field. Uh, knowing that our fob existed somewhere in the uh, the back uh, behind the lines of our enemy. Uh, and uh, the main objective, again, was to push into the town and uh, get the uh, push blue out of it and ultimately find the scientist and work with him to uh, achieve certain objectives. And uh, so at the beginning... Essentially, the uh, my forces moved up to uh, set up a line again south of the town, and uh, then not engage with them, but actually start uh, negotiating. And after uh, some clandestine negotiations were had, uh, we set up uh, strawberry shortcake. Strawberry shortcake. 
Yeah, a word, uh, a phrase that will live forever in infamy. Okay. <laughs> you want to go into detail with this? What I'm gonna was... let Craig. I'm gonna let Craig tell you a little okay, bit. Okay. All right. Story I, I, I see why you went okay, first. All right. All right. All right, all right there's all right, a story right. here. Let's hear yeah, this. There's a story here. So we started at, uh, but, but part of my forest forward because we had the town at the end, so we were able to put a, a forest um, at teepee and. Uh, the rest of them and part of my force because my guys were slow coming back from uh, the lunch break they were sort of piecemeal coming in left and right so we sort of made up a uh, ragtag force and our idea was to run our recce squad which is brooke up to the top of the hill uh that we had controlled before while mainly what was first was to hold the line uh to hold justin back for a, a little while and then we were to withdraw back into the town. And uh, once we got into town, our forces built and we had a fairly secure force around the town. We were able to sort of keep uh, um, Justin at bay and his uh, red uh, menace. Uh, but had I said before, we were suspecting a betrayal, <laughs> but we, we got a little complacent and a little busy with a few other things that were going on. Justin was poking us. My guys were moving left and right. He was really pushing at that hilltop. And so I was running troops up and supplies and trying to keep it. He was cutting in at different areas. And my guys were holding a good defensive line. And we got distracted. And then suddenly it got a little later. There was a episode um, with the Roman uh getting his head blown off um i must admit roman first came to me i was pretty tired by this time because i'd been up i've only had like about maybe four hours sleep over three four days so when roman opened up this little cage he was sort of in and he had a helmet strapped to his head and um they were literally wiring explosives to his brain and i just kind of went eh, okay let's see what we can do with this i'm okay with it um is that, what the, is that what that video did. with the and pyro coming yeah, out? Yeah, okay. yeah, the pyro was coming out. Oh, it. man. I was like, okay. And uh, that was sort of going on. And Roman, and that apparently that sort of tripped on for a little while. You sort of, if you saw the video, he goes out to negotiate sort of a treaty with, with uh, Justin to try to uh, uh, stand down some of the chaos that's happening because forces are fighting pretty hard all the way around at this point. Um and uh, then someone kills poor old Roman. He dies. And then somebody offers a bounty to retrieve his body so that my guys put out a, a fire to uh, suppress Red and run out. And they grab Justin, or sorry, they grab uh, Roman and they drag him back. But Roman is a very large man with yep. his dead and he's not moving <laughs> when they really committed him, to the role yeah yeah he totally committed to this role and when they grabbed them and dragged them back what most people didn't see is that when they exited under all the fire they went through the bramble bushes and not around them and just dragged him <laughs> he, he didn't say anything but when he came out the other side he was very committed shot a few more times very. and he was cut in all the pieces um again i was sort of like huh that was cool. And, uh, you know, serves you right, Roman, for strapping explosives to your head. Um, <laughs> I have to say, I have to say, his, his timing was absolutely perfect. 
Yeah. Well, what, what, is his, what is his role um, for Roman to be there? Was it like, uh, was it just. He like... was UN. He was oh, part okay. of the UN. Okay. He was supposed to be de escalating the conflict. Uh, so once again, Justin was called up to negotiate with the United Nations forces. And while Roman was supposed to be de escalating things, someone, we don't know who, but someone uh, took out him as the negotiator, which then just led to complete and utter chaos. It was, it was a brief lag where nobody knew what to do because the negotiator had just been shot and then all hell opened up. I, I want to ask, everyone... ask this question now. So who shot first? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's really hard. I to can tell. tell you that I didn't have any forces on that hill Ooh, up on, uh, from Greg, where the first shot came from. This? <laughs> you were in mm-hmm. town. I was in town. My forces were still holding that hilltop, mm-hmm. but uh, I believe the, uh, the 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 bullet came from a different direction. From oh, uh, yes. we could hear from the recoil. That it was the grassy the grassy knoll. Uh, yeah. Okay, we got a <laughs> <JFK> situation. <laughs> All right. But what we yeah. can tell you for sure is that uh, no United Nations forces were involved in the firefight because they had all very quietly pulled back into the tree line. Yes. Ooh. And that's where, as I was coming back and I was just having a conversation with my second and we were just sort of going, you know, we need to figure out how to get out of here before this goes sideways. <laughs> and then somebody, somebody had heard this something Horrible whispered. siren sound. There was a yeah. siren that started going off first that just killed all conversation. That was Julian uh... on his uh, on his side by side. He started blowing like an air raid siren or something like that. And then, yeah, over the loudspeaker came strawberry shortcake, strawberry shortcake. And everyone was looking around like, what the hell does that mean? What does that code yeah. mean? What does that code mean? <laughs> and as I was looking over uh, Joel's shoulder, I was just like, ah, shit. He, <laughs> he blinked. And damn it. Um, yeah, the UN turned on us. Um, I did not escape. Um, I died. <laughs> I must admit, once I died and I went there and I started to bleed out, I couldn't have been more happier to be laying on the ground because I was pretty damn tired of that. <laughs> Unless the best kind of rest. drags me away, I'm staying here. It was comfortable. It didn't matter how big that rock underneath my back was. It was the nicest, softest rock ever. Yeah. Do not, uh, do not resuscitate. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so all of blue got got wiped and red filtered into the town then and started taking positions. And uh, I think we talked about the the whole medic situation. Uh, Can you medic enemies in in one of the the podcasts? Yep, yep. Um, That situation did in fact happen. There was a blue guy. Again? (laughs) There was a blue guy that had gotten shot out. And um, some red guys are pouring over and he's yelling at them, help me, help me. (laughs) And a red medic went over there uh healed him up he thanked the fellow uh and promptly stabbed him with the with a fake knife <laughs> uh jumped up and then ran through the red lines i think he got like 12 guys or something before they figured out what was going on and, and finally put him down wow there's there's also uh we had captured uh an individual uh from the blue team war crimes and oh uh, <laughs> we were following uh we actually returned him uh after he'd been medic uh interrogated of course uh, tortured, tortured. No, I mean, it, it was, <laughs> we were just asking questions. I got really, it. end of the day. Um, <laughs> however, somehow, like the, the uh, blue forces had left their flag 
in uh, in the city. I mean, I guess something about strawberry shortcake happened. Uh, (laughs) I don't know. I was dead at this point in time because I was currently being medicked after uh, being shot in a peaceful negotiation by (laughs) by Blue. Um, But uh, after I had been miraculously brought to life by trauma surgeons, I was back in in the town and had found this this flag. And I thought, well, what better way to return a flag than sending a prisoner of war back to his commander to just, you know, as, as a sign of goodwill to show him that we understand that he's taking losses. Uh, and so what we did, uh, to, game thing aside, uh, a person went with him from Red. Uh, he was uh, zap-strapped to the flag um, over top of his arms like this. And uh, then he was then walked with another Red player <laughs> to provide him to the blue commander. Uh, all, all consensually, of course. How did how did you how did you take this message, Craig, from from your from your group? I was a little confused. It was a little mixed message uh, in the sense of thank you for my guy back and thank you for my flag back, but not so happy that uh, he was zap strapped to it. His <laughs> 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 hands were spread out, and the bat and the flag was stuffed down his back, and he was zap strapped to a log that they had found. Oh, yes, I forgot the log. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. Um, well, I saw the guy, the but wasn't quite sure because it was so dark and so twilight at that point. I was like, I am, I'm not sure what I am seeing here. <laughs> I'm so confused. The monster. It was the yeah, monster. It was the monster. The monster came back. Goodness me. So this was, this was Red's peace offering or some sort or, or effigy. Was, was, I don't even know I, how to describe this at this point. I think I think at this point we understood that that Blue was probably a little bit sad because we took their town, uh, <laughs> and they they trusted mercenaries. That was their fault. We didn't trust them. We just took our eye off the ball for a second. <laughs> <laughs> Goodness. So how how did the rest of the the, the night? So at this point it was dark. Uh, I'm guessing yeah. it's it dark at around yeah. eight thirty there um, because of. You're a couple of degrees up north. Yeah, about that. And um, so it's dark. Um, how long did the night ops last, you guys, this time around? Was there anything interesting to happen at that night? A lot of people are more eager to play. Uh, on my side, my troops had been running up and down the hill. My, funny enough, my recce squad, which had most of my night vision, had been running up and down the field, up and down to the hill. And second had been providing them support. So second and uh, second that had gotten no shooting done on the uh, um, Friday night had now spent two full battles of nonstop fighting and had been running up and down and pushing forward. They were knackered. Uh, the recce team, um, I think they had to, they tapped out around 1130 or something oh, wow. like that. Okay. And uh, uh, many of my guys were just, They'd been run into the ground by that time. Every, things were really, this is game three now. Yeah. Uh, they really were running out of steam. Uh, I don't know how Justin's side was. They were probably pretty happy because they had now just pushed us out of the town pretty much at twilight. And now uh, two hours later of, of us trying to get back in and, and pushing on the edges, it was getting uh, a little confusing. We were trying to sort of hold our position, but Again, trying to figure out where everybody else is in the dark. Tough. Good. Yeah, and, and I'd say for we, you. 
Yeah, same with my force though. Uh, like with the the Ho Chi Minh Trail early on, earlier in the day, and ultimately uh, the um, the continued firefights when when we were pushing into the city, uh, both first and third platoon and second, like all the entire company was in a long sustained firefight. We pushed through the entire uh, for at least an hour, maybe two, to just gain inches. It was a very long slogged up firefight, uh, and uh, the same with our guys as Craig's. Uh, there, it was a slow trickling of people coming in, so just kept throwing more bodies into the grinder, so to speak. And uh, yeah, but at the end of the night, everyone was really tired. It made it a little bit easier that a lot of our positions were static now within the city. Um, and then some people want to go out and play with their night vision a little bit. Yeah. Um, so, but that was few and far between. A lot of the people were pretty tired and it really kind of, uh, goes to show you how important it is to like ration out your energy. You know, mm. we all know from going to MSW events, you know, you can't just go hard all day long. Yeah. You need to spend some time in the shade, drinking some water getting some food, getting some rest. Yeah, that, that, I think that's, uh, it's important for the role of the commander as well to, to know your energy levels for, for, for the company and each platoon and squad. Um, was it like, again, we're going back to this. This is a tier two event. It was already like, you already have planned um, schedules. Um, did you find that we still need, uh, you know, as BC Airsoft, um, we still need improvements upon working up to that tier one level you think as uh, i'd say as a, a group as a whole yeah there's definitely players that need to learn to manage their energy learn radio sops um all the type of stuff that are basic skills that uh, well not basics radio is a little bit more advanced but uh even land navigation stuff like that yeah. People, uh, there's skills that I think we all need to improve upon or work on. And I think that that's, there's definitely an opportunity there for all of us to learn and move forward as a community and how we can grow. Okay. Yeah. We'll move up to the lessons learned a bit here, but let's hear, um, let's just quickly Sorry, just, move. Just on that, yeah, on go that ahead. point yeah. though, like uh, in, in all fairness as well, the, 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 the vent, the property itself does sort of, sort of dictate what, um, degree of intensity there's going to be right like that mm. field there's a lot of choke points so it's going to necessitate a lot more conflicts a lot more firefights that sort of thing so it, it is a even though it's a tier two event the property itself is quite demanding you mm -hmm. know so it, it's not just a case of like oh nobody's prepared there's a lot of good guys that are prepared like oh, yeah. brooks crew are all mm -hmm. Milsom west guys uh, justin had a similar crew on his side but there's a lot that has to happen because it's not like this massive property where you can just disappear for a few hours and get some shut eye. You're just constantly involved. You're constantly in combat. So from that perspective, it's like, you know, there's a lot of guys that probably could be capable uh, if mentally they could convince themselves um, because the, the, the property is demanding. And also, I mean, we had all kind of forgotten about it, but you are at fair altitude. Mm -hmm. and you get drained real fast because of that mm -hmm. okay well it's good to know then um yeah i was just noting down the the improvements that you know that the community needs to do but yeah i i agree there there are some people that are very dedicated 
It's just that, you know, when it comes to the night op stuff, you, you find that mm-hmm. it starts to, a lot of people starts to burn down because they've, <clears throat> they've been working so hard mm-hmm. for the, like, you know, for yesterday and then, mm-hmm. you know, the, in the morning, <clears throat> then you start seeing a lot more burnout rate. Was that like, from what you guys are explaining, that's, that's a lot more evident from, you know, just like the lack of night ops at that point, or is it just because, you know, people are just scared at the night? I think we tried our best to um, inform people on how to operate at night, how to operate in a milsim. You know, it's just, you know, our, like, you're right, the, the, the event um, location does dictate what tier you guys will run into. So, I think as, as a safety standpoint, yeah, tier, having a tier 2 event, having everything timed out, um, it's probably good especially when not a lot of people have had a chance to do milsim especially on a pandemic level so mm-hmm. everyone's still a bit rusty so but uh yeah enough of that um we'll just move on to the third day and that is the fourth game of the event i'm guessing and uh it lasts until uh, i'm guessing uh noontime around three o'clock mm-hmm. i believe uh, it was one o'clock. One was o'clock. When okay. the, the game ended on the Sunday. So, um, what was the like order of battle for Justin or uh, Craig um, for for you guys that time? So we started off with uh, two different units. Uh, one was setting up within the town, and another unit was setting up up back by our old HQ uh, position. They get to hold uh, the town still. Yeah, still okay. holding the town with a smaller uh, force. Um, I chose. I think it was first platoon because they had fought their way into the town uh, or at least to the edge of the town right before Starbury Shortcake. So I thought it only fitting for them to go inside and hang out there. Um, and uh, then we then proceeded to set up a defense perimeter around the town with uh, sending out units to retrieve uh, certain objectives throughout the field, which would be assembling rocket pieces. Oh, so, yeah. So now we get to the meat of the story here when the scientist is building his WMD. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I like to think of it as a strategic deterrent. Okay. All right. <laughs> and um, how did uh, how did uh, Red take that? Um, I'm sure you guys already in the process of, of building the rocker? Or was it just acquiring yeah, so- the hardware? So it was acquiring the hardware and then building it inside of the the town uh, and providing the resources necessary to uh, our agent of chaos scientist. Okay. Okay. Um, all right. So that's your that's your main task at that point is to defend the town and then as well as collect all the materials. Why did you want to work with the scientists? Was it for well, I mean, your people's independence or was it just to wipe out? Um, uh, Beskar. Or no, well, um, sorry, uh, <laughs> the other one. Uh, what, no, I'm getting confused with the... Uh... Still stuck in the world no, of Star Wars. Yeah, yeah still in Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. The yeah. Beskana Liberated. Beskana, yeah. 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 So the uh, uh, the Republic of Estrad has always established that the Beskana Liberated Union has uh, illegally taken over its land and is currently occupying some of its homeland. And That was from the, the previous Crossfire yeah, border. Yeah, exactly. And we wanted to uh, ensure that that would not happen and that corrupt forces from the UN wouldn't come in and uh, make us negotiate for our own land. So we were trying to establish a strategic deterrent, deterrent, like I said, and ensure that everyone would 
back off. But at the end of the day, this was about peace, not war, believe it or not. Okay. And from the red side, how did you take that when they were arming themselves with WMDs against your people? Actually, blue side. Yeah, okay. Sorry, blue, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, the, uh, by that time, uh, UN forces had uh, pulled out. Uh, so there's no UN on the field. Um, so basically, um, we were um, organized, organizing ourselves basically to hold the territory that we had uh, lost the previous year. Now we had mostly gained. We had gained part of it, but not all of it. We wanted to basically push past the town and force uh, uh, red forces to be uh, to give us some breathing room. Um, so not to uh, and. and on the area, especially around this choke point that was a secure place. Now, the red was in the town and our forces, we basically um, established uh, the perimeter to the uh, north of them. We retook uh, Hill 606. We swept uh, the territory behind us to uh, clear out any uh, lingering red forces and then pushed on to the town Primarily, there's a series of three lakes, and we tried to push into those lakes, um, hold them, and then again, um, cut off the town. And then once we cut off the town, we were able to actually uh, uh, basically drive out the remaining red forces in the town, and then uh, work uh, capture the scientist, uh, which we were able to because he was still there working with red, um, trying to set up their rocket. Uh, we were working with the scientists to basically try to disarm the uh, uh, rockets uh, that had been built. Of course, working with that scientist is a challenge at, at the best of times. He has only one direction. So trying to unwork it um, was what took up most of our time. Yeah. Uh, while Red was, again, aggressively trying to get back into the town. So we were trying to defend it. Okay, so I'm hearing that Red wanted him to build it but you guys came in and you wanted him to dismantle it yeah yeah he must he must feel really bad for building it and then having to take it down again i, I wonder what's going through his head mm -hmm. there was uh there was some instances he he was a little upset uh i was able to get my guys to negotiate with him and uh um talk him down show him the a better way um our plan was to bring him into control unfortunately the um rocket had been built quite away and was already sort of in a uh um a go position. Uh -oh. and that uh there was that moment at the end uh, i mean the last words uh we heard out of the scientist was uh oh and uh he sprinted out of there uh we withdrew our forces and basically the uh the um, fuel around the rocket went up in smoke. Oh, and that's pretty much brought us to the to the end, and that's where the event uh, sort of finished off. Was uh, uh, we had to withdraw out of the town. Um, scientist is is loose again. Um, oh man, again. Uh, but most of the uh, rocket parts and fuel seem to be destroyed in the explosions destroyed it didn't blow up i hope there wasn't a there was a few big fires a few quite a few explosions the rocket seemed to be still in place but I, we believe the detonator and all fuel was uh destroyed 
Mm. So he will be back again then. Okay. And from... You cannot confirm. From the red side, how do you guys feel about that? Where Rocket Blue has come in and basically, like, un they undo your work. Nope. Sorry. Oh. How, how does uh, how does Blue feel about that? Where Red came in and they 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 basically did uh, undo on your work. Um. I think red, <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah, red, yeah. yeah. So the, we we I'm confusing you with the blue T-shirt. That's what it. Yeah, that's that, that, red. I, um, <laughs> uh, so I would say that uh, you know maybe it was our plan all along to have that device destroyed because perhaps the actual work wasn't the rocket. Oh, but oh, uh, we got some. Okay, we then. got we got some undone work, uh, like unfinished work here. But that that said, uh, I'd have to say that Red Force has put up a really strong fight uh, all the way to the end of that day, and uh, and also I have to give my uh, hat hats off to all the blue forces that held that city right up to the last minute um, before everything went to hell with the rocket. So. But I mean, it, it, it could also be considered maybe it's another one of these blue false flag attacks. Uh, maybe they just stole the WDM, uh, WMD material for themselves. And maybe, then ensured that it maybe they, they, they controlled the media and then mm -hmm. and then made it so that it blew up, but they actually took it. Yeah. I mean, can can we confirm options. this, Craig? <laughs> I can either confirm or deny such things uh, would be... <laughs> irresponsible of me as a representative of the military of my uh, my country. Uh, we'd have to talk to someone higher up than me, please. Got so it. we can only presume then that it was all a show. <laughs> you know what? Awesome. Like, like awesome work guys. Um, like that, that's, that's all part of like the story building that you guys sort of generate all the time when it comes to your events. Um, going to you, Scott, now for the admin mm. side of things. Um, overall, you know, how did it turn out? You know, and as well as you know, who who actually won this war? Is it a stalemate again? Are we coming back for another one here? What's what's going on? Um, well, I mean, overall, I think the event went quite well. Uh, we had a, a lot of hit hiccups leading up to the event. Um, uh, things that just weren't quite going the way that we would have liked a lot of like last minute things like we had the guy who was supposed to deliver our scaffold stuff he quit the morning of the delivery Ooh. and so we had to send our guys into town to source a, a trailer and haul that stuff out on our own and, and like there was tons of things like that so it, it leading up to the event it was like what the hell have we done this was a terrible idea you know so much stress and everything let's just get through this and and hope nobody notices all the the crap going on but then the event actually started happening and everything kind of started to fall into place and um by the end of it uh we were all thoroughly exhausted but we felt like the event had had gone well uh, the feedback we got at our on-site after action was was overwhelmingly positive the the negative points that people had were points of of improvement. There was nobody bitching at us for the sake of, of bitching. It was always like, 
you know, this could have been a little bit better, or uh, I would have liked to have seen this or whatever. And it was stuff that we could take with us into the planning of, of all future events. So I, I think it went well. The, the players themselves didn't seem to be um, seeing any of the background stuff that wasn't quite going as smoothly as we would have liked. Uh, nobody died. So that's always a massive accomplishment. Number one priority. Like this. <laughs> yeah, you know? um, we didn't have to kick anybody out or send anybody, anybody home. So we were happy with that. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, I think overall it, it, it went, went well. I mean, there's obviously areas of improvement, but um, yeah, we think it well. Okay. So yeah, we're talking about lessons learned here. Um, from, from the two commanders now, uh, Craig or Justin, um, what are, what are some uh, few things that, uh, that you've learned from this event? Um, especially with the ammunition and as well as the um, like the logistics of things when it comes to providing ammunition, um, you know what what are uh, what are some big on, things? On on my side, um, I guess one of the, the biggest things is um, how impressed I was with the commitment of our players and our player base. Everyone's it was amazing um, to have uh, one hundred and thirty odd players on my side uh, divide up, commit to their roles. Um, they weren't always what they expected them to be. They were sometimes uh, slows and highs. Uh, they did an amazing job and, put, and uh, tackled all the problems that we threw at them and that just were created. Um, the um, ammo uh, coming in the way it did um, there was a little delay on uh, getting the tracer rounds at the night, so that was uh, a little slower than some people were expecting, but that had to do with basically, uh, you know, me as command, uh, trying to control uh, quite a few things, um, having my, um, my um, radio guy, uh, Jess, uh, Jesse, uh, relaying information out and getting it back and trying to um, balance stuff and organize and getting a little over focused on one side or another. Um, and just getting the, again, with the medic water, like it really played uh, a nice part in controlling the, uh, the flow and the panic and a, re a little bit more realism uh, of it. Uh, I really enjoyed the minimum uh, uh, ammo and the medic water and the uh, tourniquets, which I was, um, Justin and uh, Scott sewed every one of those individually. Wow. Uh, just yeah. all 300 of them. Uh, Holy crap. <laughs> um, Holy and that was, uh, you know, and all around everyone was, I, I felt everyone was happy. I, there was some moments in the game where I was like, oh man, you know, have I totally, uh, you know, Screwed the pooch on this thing here, uh, and then other times where everything came together, and you're just like, "Wow, this is so much fun, so exciting!" Uh, just working with my guys, you know, with the maps out, with the radios, the comms going back and forth, the units getting lost and being found, and then the battles going in the background, the urgency to one side or the other. It was just, I had a great, I had a great time. Um, I hope um, I know there was a few guys I probably need to thank for the amazing job they did. Um, I, it's a very long list, actually. Um, so I, I won't do it here. Uh, I'll be doing it individually one by one as I as I meet with them. There was a couple of guys that uh, 
on the first night, there was two guys who escorted me out to the far side of the field as I tried to make contact with first platoon in the, in the initial battle at the end of the battle. And we walked one guy like halfway through sort of said, Hey, you know, it's kind of getting late. I, I think I might turn back. And we were like, yeah, as soon as we get to the next road, we'll get you sorted out and, uh, and head you on back. No problem. Two and a half hours later, he was still there beside me. Um, we hadn't found a road yet, not really. And when we did, it was, uh, on our way back and there was guys like that who just showed up, gave their all. And, uh, it was great working with them. Um, I got nothing, nothing but good things to say about people at this <laughs> point. It was I'm a great bunch of people. I'm surprised you didn't do your sneaky stuff from, from like, you know, like, I guess almost a, um, eight we years did ago where you go, you, you go into, um, the enemy's, uh, HQ and take their water and ammunition. Are you, are you losing your touch here? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, actually, I'm we, talking we about dis- uh, Red Dawn, by the way. <laughs> uh, we disassembled uh, Blues. Uh, Ooh. Yeah, it was nice. I got there the next morning and I was like, hey, where is it? Then I looked down to the ground. There it was neatly disassembled and laying and all spread out. And now, like, now you know how it Well feels. done, boys. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> 20 so minutes to put that back together. Justin, for, for your side, you know, lessons learned and, uh, you yeah. know, comments and I, well, commendations. I mean, First off, I'm going to echo the fact that the, the the players were amazing. I know, like, you guys were like, oh, my God, same thing. But uh, everyone showed up. Everyone was there to play. Everyone was having fun. And the fact that people actually ran a kilometer and a half, two kilometers in, the in like, it was like 20-something degree heat, like early 20s, but still moves up high. Yeah. It was a cold day. Uh, and they kept at it all day was impressive to me but um so yes thank you to everyone on the red team you guys made an event for me uh highly recommend doing company commander it's fun as hell uh some of the things i learned having a dedicated rto as a platoon commander or a company commander is definitely a must-have uh because when you're out there messing around with radios trying to figure stuff out you don't necessarily have the mental bandwidth to actually keep everything in your head uh, write down the notes that needed to be um, had and basically just keep things going. So if you're thinking of doing company or platoon commander, a good radio operator is going to be worth their weight in gold. Um, I was really lucky with my XO, like I said, professionally trained RTO down in the United States military uh, and awesome, like seriously made, made the event way better for me because I could focus on moving people around. Um, so, and then to that effect comes number one, if you can't communicate to your people, there's not a lot you can do. You can be the best commander in the world, but if you can't actually get word to people, what they need to do, then end of the day, it's going to fall apart. And number three, logistics. Um, like we said, you know, we had a lot of people working their ass off getting BBs and water and just Intel to people. And without that sheer amount of effort, uh, things are going to fall apart. So, you know, I, I'm nothing but optimistic about the, the Milsom community here in BC throughout all of Western Canada. We had people from Alberta, Saskatchewan, from down in the States and uh, all the way up like way Northern BC too. So I'm just, I'm happy with how it turned out. Okay. 
And there was uh, one, one, one last little one yeah, that I ahead. wanted to drop out. Uh, there was on the last game, I had a couple of guys who had been running up and down the hill the day before for eight hours. And two of them had uh, blisters on their feet or a rolled Ooh. ankle or whatever. And they still came onto the field and provided me as, uh, uh, as my personal guards for the latter part of the game, just so they could be there to the very end. It was just those type of dedication that guys gave. They just kept coming back. I can't do role A, but I can do role B. And they just stepped in and into it and owned it. It was brilliant. Okay. All right. Um, all right. And um, I guess we'll switch gears here. So what do you guys have for future events coming up? Because I'm sure after this one, you guys are just decompressed. I know some of you guys are just came back from vacation after your events. And, um, you know, like, what's what's coming up in the Pipeworks here? Are we expecting anything? Or, you know, you don't have to reveal anything, but do you have something coming up? Um, yeah, I mean, we got we got stuff in the works. Nothing we're, we're ready to fully announce yet. Uh there's a lot of work that goes into like sourcing properties and and figuring out things like insurance and all that kind of boring stuff in the background that needs to simply be in place to run an event. So um, we've got a couple irons in the fire. Um, Crossfire is obviously um, for next year is is there. It's in the works. It is being planned. We're not ready to fully announce it yet, but we don't have any plans to, to move away from that. Um, Elephant in the room, obviously C21 is hanging around and it is, mm -hmm. it is a concern of ours. As far as we're concerned, we're going to keep going ahead as if that's not there uh, and keep trying to plan things out, hope for the best that um, even worst case, there's some way to keep, keep going um, with this for a while. So we are planning things um, and working on stuff. Um, as I said, we just need a little bit of time to finalize details with the properties and things like that before we can say, yep, here's the next one on the docket. We don't want to get people's hopes up if something doesn't pan out. Got it. Um, speaking of um, C21 stuff, I know mm. um, like I've, I work with Justin a lot on this as well, um, and as well as uh, our... Uh, our BC comms group and as well as the big um, national group for C21. Um, I'm, this is more for Justin, I guess. Um, mm -hmm. You want to possibly talk about more about the uh, AABC? The AABC, uh, the Airsoft Association of British Columbia. So we have been working diligently over the last year or so uh, with all of the community leaders. So it's definitely not my thing. It's all of BC coming together to uh, put together a association for players. The idea is to uh, ultimately talk about, um, advocate for the sport of airsoft, build the sport of airsoft within British Columbia. And, you know, right now we're facing an existential threat with C21. Uh, we're not here to quote unquote fight the government, but we are here to educate them about the impact that this bill is going to have on our sport. And, um, you know, Scott is actually one of the initial directors. Um, uh, Michael from the BCAMF is also a director at the moment. Uh, we're going to be moving forward and launching a website this weekend. Uh, and we're going to be um, basically doing a soft launch there and then sending out printed materials and whatnot to all the fields in British Columbia to get players involved. 
And so if you guys are listening to this right now, if you're listening to this a week from now, um, bcairsoft.org, it's not up yet. Uh, I mean, you got a landing page. You can sign up for that right now, but it will be going up this weekend. Um, we're going to be doing memberships. And the idea behind the memberships is not for us to garner a bunch of money for any particular reason other than exactly what I said. The um, advocacy of all the players of uh, Airsoft and BC so that when uh, C21, as it, as it has passed into uh, second reading into committee stage, we need to get in front of that committee mm-hmm. so that our voice as a province is heard. And uh, that's really where the fight stands right now because, you know, Omega Ops, uh, love the guys here. Um, you guys, even Panther, all of us will be affected by this if it passes. And it really comes down to it being an existential threat for all of us. So yeah, that's, that's kind of the, the, the quick little two minute elevator pitch. Um, there's going to be a lot more information on the website. It's going to be our constitution, our bylaws. The one of the, you know, big things about us is good governance and transparency. Uh, that is number one, because end of the day, uh, we aren't about egos. We aren't about controlling anyone. We are here to make sure the least amount of legislation, whether it's on a private aspect, like an organization like this, or the government, for the most amount of good for our community. And we're just here to, you know, do the service necessary to make sure that uh, our sport can exist in the future. And hopefully one day become a nationally recognized sport. I really yep. hope that myself. Yeah, we got a lot of groundwork ahead of us here, especially with the parliament ending this week, I think, right? And for summer break. So we still got the summertime to gather everybody, um, get everybody's thoughts in, and as well as a show that BC has numbers that, you know, rather than, you know, like we deal with ASIC all the time, it's always back east, right? Um, You know, we have something to represent us here. Um, FSAQ on... On Quebec side, or um, yeah, Quebec side, they had they represent their airsoft players in Quebec. So you know, having a BC one to represent us here would be a would be great because uh, you know our voices need to be heard here on the west side as well. And uh, you know, I've <laughs> I've been fighting tooth and nail with those guys back east to always you know let us into the table or let us be heard um, at all times so that you know we we don't get left out. And, um, yeah, and having an organization now to show our numbers um, will be good. And as well as, uh, yeah, I mean, it it just shows that we're serious about this fight. And uh, all the letter writing writing campaigns are actually working um, for people Mm. that don't think it's working. Because um, we've been, in the last, like, week or so, we've been, they've, they've directly put Airsoft into the House of Commons so many times now that it's like hard to keep track and you know people coming in is like well we should remove them we should amend them we should do this or that you know and or for them we're basically rent free in their head now because now we're a force to be reckoned with we'll be like okay well you know we got to get these guys off our back you know we got we got to do something now right because yeah they, we're, it, we're we're you know the, the people they have to answer to the people Right. Yeah, I, I agree. And that's that's what we want to do. Yeah. Let's get our voice heard. And um, to anyone right now feeling hopeless with C21, I know I see uh, posts every day about people. Should I buy an airsoft gun? Should I mm-hmm. invest in this sport? I want to get involved. I, I have to tell you that it's not hopeless. Yes, nope. we are facing an uphill battle. 
Um, and it's going to be hard work on behalf of every airsofter. You're going to have to get out there, write letters, and you're going to have to talk to your MPs, and you're going to have to make sure that they hear about it, not just from organizations, but from every single airsofter out there so that they realize that this is about our passion for, I'm going to say reenactment, for theatrics, mm -hmm. for, for out there having fun playing uh, make-believe as our heroes. And for building teamwork, friendships, relationships. I've seen people who have come together because of this sport and um, it's okay. not over. And even if C21 passes, the fight continues um, yeah. because it's not over and I'm not gonna give up. And I know dozens of people that are not gonna give up at that either. So mm -hmm. uh, keep up the good fight because we're all in it together. Okay, uh, speaking of... Uh reenactments um if it does pass i guess uh, omega ops is moving to 1800s uh airsoft then <laughs> uh, maybe we'll see we got a couple of different options i mean we could go backwards in time we could go forwards in time we got options mm. we can't just do current that's so sideways no. in universes <laughs> yeah. exactly. parallel universe all right let's go, there you go. yeah <laughs> scott let's go omega ops presents 1812 <laughs> <laughs> skirmish line men <laughs> <laughs> do not move do not move <laughs> let the cannon hit you breach loaded bb guns yeah the yes. op four is americans so <laughs> oh boy we're trying well. to take our beer yeah we're coming for the white house it truly will be the red team <laughs> yes red yeah, that's what i'm saying it'll be red exactly. versus blue yeah <laughs> Can't wait for that, guys. Don't don't think that's gonna happen anytime soon. But um, oh man, it's been two hours. Um, awesome. Uh, after action report, guys. Um, we didn't go over to player after action report. Uh, it, it was gonna take a little bit too long. Mm -hmm. I think we might have a, a a separate segment for it just for players to get their word out because commander level. You know, you guys don't get to hear a lot of what happens at the bottom. So I think having a mm -hmm. separate segment on that. Might be a good idea, and then you guys can watch it um, uh, and and listen to the stories of you know the, the lone foot soldier to to the fire team leader to the squad leader, and then you know as high up as a platoon. You know, you 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 were sending them to battle. We want to hear their stories now. Yeah, yeah, for <laughs> sure. Well, we want to hear that as well, right? I mean, as the organizers, it's all well and good for us to uh, to kind of have that thirty thousand view of what's going on, but we want to mm. hear the stories from the people because that's our payoff on the event. Mm. These guys telling us, "Oh, this happened and that happened and that was so cool." We want to know what happened at these events because that's what we live off and and what motivates us to plan the next one, right? I don't know about that stuff as well. Um, I just in the in the chat here, Poi, I threw a link to uh, a Google Form document thing. We did put it out across the general chat and the blue and the red groups. It's basically just a, a pared down uh, sustain and improve form. Um, okay. So you know, like you go through it, it'll say that it, just follow the instructions, right? But essentially, yeah. what we're looking for is if there's something at the event that you liked, you tell us to sustain Got and it. tell us what it was. If there's something you want to see that's better uh you know give us an improve it'll be and, down at the link below guys if you're watching this video yeah. or um, the caveat yeah, of course being like if, if things that we can improve are things that are at an event level there are certain things that are like on you as the player and I, I don't mean to like throw it at at the players but like something like well i was very uncomfortable because my socks were wet i can't really do anything 
about that as that far as job. the event or, or you don't control the right. weather. So. That's not your yeah. job. Yeah. Yeah. But and, and you know, there's other things where people are like, well, I didn't know where in the spawns were. It's like, okay, well, some of that might be because we can we can do something about that. We can improve our communications with players. But it might also be that you, the player, weren't tied into the structure. You know, yeah. so give us improves that we can concretely take and do something about. Be as specific as you can, so that we can incorporate that into our planning for the future. And and we'd really appreciate that. Okay, I'll I'll have that at the link in the description, guys. Um, I'll put that on a Milsim channel as well for you guys. Um, okay. Um, yeah, we'll definitely jump in and do a, another segment just for players, and then you guys can listen in. Um, yeah, we want to get um, more feedback. So, uh, comment down below, guys, if you want to get included in that, or as well as uh, message me because uh, I have you know I have some lovely after action reports for players. But um, yeah, we were just talking about the general overall structure, command structure, you know. Now we'll get into the nitty-gritty stuff um, on a later segment. Um, other than that, um, I think we're pretty much good to go here. Overall, looked like a fun event. I saw all the videos. I saw all the, I saw all the photos and mm -hmm. uh, a lot of smiles. And that really proves that, you know, we are, um, for C21 purposes, we are a harmless sport and yeah. a great community to deal with. No, we're, mm -hmm. not, we're not a bunch of angry people, you know, going through this and what's all about the fun. Right. Yeah, and yeah. that's something that's really important to highlight to show that you can have big scale events like this. People aren't getting hurt. I know that it, it is a possibility, right? Because, you know, it happens on the weekends, people roll their ankles, people, you know, get cuts and scrapes and whatnot, but you know, um, this great event i'm always hearing stories coming out uh, you know every weekend i'm out at the field i'm hearing a different story a different scenario and stuff like that so i feel like you know um it, there's more to come out and uh you guys are gonna have like a really good ripple effect from this uh event and let's really hope we don't have another black swan uh coming our yeah. way here and uh, separate us for another four years <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah the last thing i, I did just want to make a, a note and say that um you know because of our position we heard from people that were at the property themselves the, the people who ran the pizzeria in particular oh yes the owner of the property um the save on like like i said it's a small town so by like thursday afternoon everyone in the town knew what was going on and we got multiple reports back from uh people in 100 mile and 108 um that are thoroughly impressed with the the airsoft community and the people that showed up like all the players that came everyone did a fantastic job of cleaning up after themselves of presenting the sport in a really positive light and the town uh we've had multiple people say you guys are coming back next time right like they they desperately want us back they loved what we were doing and they loved the people everyone was incredibly respectful uh so you know as the organizers and as, as a member of this community thank you so much to the the people who showed up for for being that kind of a player for for showing that respect to uh to the, the property and the town yeah, I, I would also like to add to that. That also adds to the statistics of, you know, C21 stuff for Airsoft. Do we make a difference in our economy? Yes. Yes, we do. We bring tourism to a town that doesn't necessarily get one, that doesn't necessarily get people, you know, at that level um, to all come in from, like, the lower land or, like, you know, Alberta or the island. They all come into one area conglomerate and spend their money locally 
and then afterwards leave. You know, that's that's an economical boost for the local economy there. And that that's a good statistics to show to the government. Um, that, I mean, you know, yeah, we, we sold out two large resorts. Yeah. And then there was also people in other hotels. And the the, the economic benefits are they extend well well beyond that. So I think that it's a huge thing to, yeah. to highlight. Write, write that on your letters, guys, because uh, they need to know. They need to know. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you know, like you're saying, um, they appreciate us being there. And guys, always be mindful, be respectful, and make sure you store airsoft guns properly because transportation is key here. We are in BC, so yeah, just don't be, just don't be that guy who you know who brandishes out in public, guys. Other than that, um, that's good to hear that overall it went well. Um, Mac, any last words from you before we close this off? <laughs> No, I have enjoyed uh, listening to all of your guys' uh, you know, inquiries. And I mean, you know, yeah, I haven't been in th- that high up of a position to, to run like a command for a faction. Um, I have run like, you know, the platoon level stuff. So I can definitely imagine how hard like I mean, I, I mean, I've run a crew at work, so I definitely know and corralling uh, children and adult children uh while playing maple leaf soldier in the forest can be a little daunting so uh seriously you know like pat on the back for for all of you gentlemen and then you know big thanks to everyone that made the event possible and then yeah i just look forward to 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 the future yeah so do we all right well we'll close this off thank you very much uh justin scott and as well as craig um for spending two hours with us uh, explaining, you know, what kind of organized chaos happened at the uh, the day of, and as well as uh, what's what's in the works for later. Um, yeah. All right, um, Tack, you close us off, and then uh, we'll be done for tonight. Oh, hey guys, Tack here, closing it off here. Episode ninety one of the Panther Airsoft Folding Table Talk, talking about the Crossfire AAR. Uh, if you've liked this episode, don't forget to hit that like button and slap that subscribe button. And if you guys want to see these uh, notifications, then hit that bell. And we'll catch you on the next one. Love, peace, and chicken grease. See you guys later. <laughs>